The following podcast is brought to you by the Jonas Podcasting Network, found exclusively at wrestlingwithjonas.com. Welcome to the latest edition of the SWN podcast. I am your host, as always, Billy. I am joined on this edition, uh, because I don't know if I'm doing two a week or one a week, uh, by the beautiful Bruiser. Uh, We're here to sin with Molly Spartan. Welcome to the show. Lovely intro. Thanks for having me. I'm I'm well practiced at this point. Uh, (laughs) So the first question is always the same, but I'll get to that in a second. I'm going to change it. I'm going to change the first question this time, because... You put out the, the like I said before we recorded, the bat signal um, to get people to to record and, and get on podcasts and to just contact you. Um, why? What, 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 what put out the call? Why did you go, right, I need to get on some podcasts? And the genuine reason, right? So a lot of people come up and ask. There's weird, like, I'll be at shows and things like that, and people will sort of be like, oh, I... I'd love to see you in this podcast or like I'd love to have you on it and I'm just like okay which usually makes them go what and I go okay like when are you thinking what time exactly we'll try and work it out um so I'd got I'd, like had that sort of stuff before in the past but also I bought a new desk um <laughs> to go in this room and thought well if I'm now getting the desk and I'm gonna have the place where I can have laptop set up and etc then I could go on podcast and it's going to be a lot easier rather than that strange sort of like the many times I've seen interviews and it's that weird sort of strange angle like yeah so I did this and then I was like I could sit in a chair and like you could see me and I could move my arms and I'm all free and it's not just on my lap um so yeah I thought like okay let's just let's put the bat signal out there and see if anybody would remotely be interested in hearing my rabblings about wrestling and how I view things because although in the ring um, I have my methods, I have my dealings with my own business and some people agree with it and some people strongly disagree with how I go about things but outside of that we also have the things we're passionate about the things we love and the the love of this business and yeah i thought maybe maybe somebody might be interested in hearing my my rabblings um and some might even this sense may have people like that's plenty of but i hope not i hope you stick around um to hear uh the things that i'm going to say and i hope it's at least remotely interesting or my poor, poor husband is going to have a very long marriage of me <laughs> talking nonsense. <laughs> I think I half set this podcast up so my wife doesn't have to put up with my uh, ramblings and uh, ah. what have you. Because, uh, yeah, she, she likes to wrestle. She'll go to a rumble. She'll go to a show. Um, but she doesn't particularly is interested in me doing a, a couple hour rundown of each part and each show and how great it was yeah. and why it was great. Uh, like she you doesn't don't, you understand don't when, you're, when you're just sort of like, like, so-and-so returned, they've come from this. And she's like, okay, that's nice, dear. Go on, uh, 
Go, go, you go to, you, you go you, talk to your. You tell the other people. <laughs> you go tell the strangers in 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 the camera. Go on, you go. <laughs> yeah, the only one she was excited about was when I told her Edge was was back because she was like, "Oh, I remember Edge." So like, yes, he's back. Will you watch it now? Edge, uh... Edge is my boy. <laughs> like that's my boy. Like my poster boy. That is that was it. Oh, I was a um, oh yeah. And Edge came back. Oh, like. I was just silent. And as you can tell, I'm not a silent person. <laughs> um, yeah, it was it was great. I had a friend just grab me and was just like, oh my God, well, she was like, that rumble. Um, so I work for a company called Inside the Ropes as well. And that's who I usually watch the rumbles with, obviously couldn't this year, but usually is with them and we do a tombola. So we get numbers, we've got like a wee bingo machine and we pick numbers. And I had uh, 16 and 21. So I had Drew and Edge. So oh. I did really well that tombola um, and won the men's one. And I was just, I, I was delighted I had Drew. And then when Edge came back, oh dear Lord, I was like, I knew it, I knew it. And we did like a, like an online tombola this year, we couldn't be together. Um, and I got Edge, so I won again with Edge the following year. The boy's um, lucky. He's not bad. But uh, were you on these on that tour with Inside the Ropes with Edge? Yeah, I genuinely believe Kenny McIntosh booked Edge purely to see me be flustered. <laughs> like it was a great tour, and of course you would want him. But like deep down, number one reason was I want to see I want to see Molly be absolutely flustered and not quite sure what to do with herself for a, for a day. I remember our first date we did was in uh, Belfast, right? Because I was thinking of the venue. It was in the limelight in Belfast, and uh, Fiona Lockridge, she's she's basically our transport sort of coordinator. She deals with all the driving. She'll pick up the guests and bring them to the venue, etc. So normally. When I'm doing my, my my job, if I see Fiona, I know the guests arrive. I'm like, right, cool, he's here. We need to make sure, et cetera, et cetera. Go up and introduce yourself and stuff like that. The thing is, so I'm doing my job and I turned around and he was just like there, like he wasn't far away from me. And I just had that moment. And I remember he had his back to me, but Kenny was sort of in front of him. So Kenny can see me and I'm just like, I'm not ready and just <laughs> ran away. Never saw me run away. Kind of just ran away. And Kid was like, oh, there she goes. And like he was like, come and say hello. And like eventually they had to be like, come and say hello. And I'm like, hello, how you doing? And then the next day was in Dublin. And Edge adores this place called Offbeat Donuts. Like when he was filming Vikings, he used to go and get them. So he loves these donuts. And he showed up with this giant box for, for us. And he had a wee box for himself, which he ate entirely to himself. When I say a box, I mean like six donuts to himself. <laughs> and we had this big box. But then all of a sudden I walked in and one of the donuts was missing. And I was like, who ate one of the donuts? He ate one of our donuts. And I tried to be like sassy and have attitude with them. But Fiona said it was the funniest thing she's ever seen because I was trying to be like, oh, I, you see one of our donuts, yeah? But my face was going, oh, I, see one of our donuts. I just could not smile. And it took me like two days to like knock out and go, right, just act like a normal, 
just act like you. Just be cool. Um, but I wasn't. I'm. I'm. I'm usually very cool. Like I can deal. Like Shawn Michaels and none. I was cool. I was cool. I was fine. Hello, sir. How you doing? Can I get you anything? That fine. Didn't get flustered. Flustered on an edge. But he's my boy, man. He's my boy. Um, but yeah, it was the best. And like, like to a point where now. We follow each other on Twitter, so I was able to like send him a congrats message. And like, I actually, after the rumble, when he come back, I actually sent one message saying, I had you in the Tumpola and you didn't win. <laughs> and then went, You're lucky I had through though as well. So I won. And he was like, Oh, that's great. <laughs> but yeah, he's he's a lovely, I'm, I'm very happy so far that anybody that has made that was significant in me loving wrestling so far have all been like lovely like anyway really important to me has been lovely and it hasn't decimated the reason for me doing what I love because if any of them had been like had been awful then it would have broken my heart (laughs) and I'm like there's no point to this but yeah no that didn't happen so luckily luckily they've been cool I've got, like, when you say you were flustered, I had the same kind of feeling when I met Leah. Um, and I, unfortunately, when I get flustered, I just let my, I open my mouth, let my belly rumble. So I just, I, I, I've said in our podcast, but I, she called me on my t-shirt, it was my Hardy Boys t-shirt, because I didn't have a Leah one. And she went, oh, nice t-shirt. I went, oh, I couldn't find one of yours. So that was a good start. And then... She went, oh, what's your name? I went, oh, just, just say my name. My name's Billy. I'm not going to sell it on eBay or anything. And I'm looking at her going, why am I saying this? These are words coming out. I don't want them to come out. They're, they're gone. I'm, I'm so That sorry. happens a lot, though. That, that That's not an unusual thing. Like, I think it's that we were, like, for me, they were desperate to see it because I, I like, and then said the ropes, went, I am Missy's cool. Like, I can, I can just be fine. Like, it doesn't. I constantly just go in going, they're just a person, like, the last thing they want is somebody being like, ugh. But I think by the like by the end of it, like obviously like Kenny had told him, like, by the way, you're her favourite. But she was like, I can kinda like the first couple of days he was like, I can kinda tell, but she was trying to I'm just being cool about it. I'm trying to be cool about it. But once I sort of relaxed then he was like, Oh, she's sound, like she's not an absolute nutter. There was a point though I remember like we went and got them like gifts for sort of just being sound we were gonna have like a bottle of whiskey and we went and got his girls like there was like a story about a wee midgie and nessie and we got like little like one was like a healing cow toy and a wee nessie toy and like we got beth a scarf and stuff and um we thought like that'd be nice like send him away like with some presents from from us because he's been lovely and he's went and bought us things like just out of the kindness of his heart we'll do the same and uh, there was a point he just went, all right, and he went on his phone and he was chatting and he just went, yeah, yeah, this this is this is the, and passed his phone. And it was Beth on the phone. And I was just like, you all right? Um, Amazon, how you doing? Like, I just was like, what the fuck? Hello. Uh, she was lovely. And she was really like, thank you so much for your scarf. Like, I really appreciate it. The girls will love the print. Like, and how, like, I was just like, that's a lovely couple. Like, they are love. They are well suited to each other. Um, but the fact that you yeah, like, even though he's age, and obviously for years people have shown up with 
gifts and presents and all sorts. The fact that he actually appreciates it, that like he didn't have to phone his wife to show her the presents that we'd got. You know what I mean? It was just like, and he did it while we were out. We were out the room. I'd walked in to like, because it was in the venue we had served food. So I'd walked in to ask him like, hey, do you want food? Like, do you want what do you want? And he was just like, oh, here's, there's, there you go, here's Beth. And I was like, oh, <laughs> how do this? Um, well, oh, cool. Um, but yeah, like, yeah, he was lovely. And there's, there's been loads, like I've got some mad stories with some people, and a lot of people, some people I didn't expect to love, like love, like went away absolutely adoring um, because they were just so, they were just so nice. And they were just so genuine. That's why I'm genuine, like false pretenses. I'm just like, ugh, no thank you. But like genuine people you can connect with and you can actually talk about things and ask them questions and they don't get uppity. That's the thing. I think the, the best interactions you have with wrestlers, I mean, I'm, I'm still, because I'm on the other side of the barrier, so I'm just like shocked anyone that agrees to speak to me in the first place. But uh, when, when I meet wrestlers, I'm just like, the ones I remember are the ones that were just, them like I met Dennis Stamp, didn't know who Dennis Stamp was other than jumping on a trampoline, and mm -hmm. I spoke to him. And he just he spoke to me for a good ten minutes about a story, and I was like, "You just happy to be here, and I'm happy that you decided to speak to me about it." Um, <laughs> anyway, right. The first question is, how did you get into pro wrestling? So, what got you hooked? Um, so like a lot of people that I know in sort of my age bracket, um was usually like a cousin or a brother or that had a tape and they showed it to them and etc etc and that that didn't really happen for me like most of my cousins were female I had a couple of male cousins but I never really had much to do with them um so I didn't really have that and I was always like a tomboy like I have a younger brother who's five years younger than me but we used to always just like play football climb trees and stuff like that and I always had that sort of boisterous kind of side to me. Um, but the one thing that I, that would, I think it genuinely would be my mastermind, like, topic, if you were to actually ask me, would be on the Powerpuff Girls. Um, at that age, loved, like, they were my idols. Like, adored all the villains, him and Mojo Jojo and stuff like that. But that was obviously broadcast on Cartoon Network. Um, and growing up, we used to have this small, like, it's like a black Taylor West box. It had red digits. And a uh, Channel Cartoon Network was on at nine o'clock. It would change to TNT, which famously hosted WCW. And um, I remember there was, like, my mum and dad would go out. It was either, like, a Friday or a Saturday. They'd go um, out to sort of the local sort of workingman's club kind of thing. And my cousin would come round and sort of babysit me and my brother. And this Friday, I was sort of sitting watching the Purple Girls, as I always would when it was on. And usually what would happen at nine o'clock is this, like, screen would come up and it'd have, like, for some reason I remember the logo rotating. I'm not 100% if that's true or if that's just something I've edited in my own mind. But it was this TNT logo rotating and it was saying, like, um, the channel is about to change to TNT. This is past the watershed kind of elk was on the, on the screen um and this for some reason this nine o'clock usually the screen that would come up and i'd be like okay right change the channel no more cartoon network um hadn't come up in the next episode started so i was kind of like 
Ooh, it's not changing. It's not changing. This is going to be and pretty much at that moment when I was like, oh, it's not changing. The screen changed instantly to Bill Goldberg's face just screaming in the telly, like just being like, ah! and I was like, ah! and sort of fell off a kitchen table and was like, what is this? And at that point, my brother obviously was like, what's going on? And we sort of started watching wrestling because of that, because Bill Goldberg terrified me so much, I fell off a table. Like, it was just great. And I remember, like, we'd watch it and we'd end up watching it in the living room. And um, my mum would usually, once my mum and dad came home, my mum had a weird theory where whoever got punched first was winning. Like, that was her theory in WC. Whoever got hit first, be kicked, punch, whatever, they won. The other person was the one that was losing, right? So she used to come home and then just sit and be like, they're winning, they're winning, they're winning. Stop it, right? But obviously, over the years, it would have sort of evolved. And obviously, we started with WCW, um, but then obviously when we changed, like, cable providers or that and end up with Sky, that sort of way in sort of WWE, F would come about, and that's when my brother would find his still fatuation with Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Um, so much so that I remember when he was moving out for the first time, there was like a poster that was on the back of his door and had been there since he was like, I don't know, three, um, that he got at like Kinross Sunday Market for a pound. It was like that sort of, you know, remember those laminated posters? Like oh, yeah. Posters? yeah. It was one of those of The Rock and it was on the back of his door and like when you removed it, like there was a clear colour difference in the door for years it'd been there. I had never moved, it never budged. It was just on the back of this door. And it's so obviously that progressed of him being the rock and I was Stone Cold Steve Austin. So he took many stunners and I took many a rock bottoms and I I managed to, even though he was tiny, like going for it. And we were just, we were always very rambunctious children. So wrestling was great and like, Obviously, it progressed on like my dad staying up to record WrestleMania or SummerSlam, so you could watch it the next day, kind of thing. Um, so that's sort of how I got into wrestling as a fan. Um, but I'm hoping that's what you meant as a fan. It, yeah, it was. That's, that's okay, that's fine. I was like, do you want me to go on how I was a wrestler or like? No, that's like my third question, but <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, but yeah, there, there's always oh, me, it was my friend's dad, but there's always a dad that had to stay up. And because either they didn't know how to set the record the VHS, or or actually didn't know and didn't want to tell you they didn't know how to, so they would stay up and just go, Right, I'll go to bed then, and that's it. But uh, yeah, I, I remember, remember getting many a tape uh, of uh, WrestleMania. Um, my, my mate's dad had to stay up twice because WrestleMania 17 was too long. So it went over a oh, three-hour tape. So he had, to stay, he had to he had to go up, he had to wait until the replay was on box office to tape the, the next bit. So I've <laughs> the tape somewhere. My dad worked offshore for all like all like my days and stuff. And there was a point when um I don't know if I like I can't remember, he still talks about this to the day how he was he was in an airport, basically Aberdeen Airport, before he got the helicopter out and stuff. And in the waiting room was uh, Razor Ramon and The Undertaker. 
<laughs> they must have been doing Aberdeen. And he was just like, there was these giant men. And then he realised, oh. And they were like, to Alex, oh, what rig is it you work in? It was like, I, I don't. Uh, <laughs> I'm an undertaker. <laughs> um, but yeah, like my dad always talks about that. And there was somebody else, but I can't remember who it was, but it always it would be Razor Room and The Undertaker. But I still like to go, was that post WCW or like before it kind of thing? Like, I don't know how long ago it was, but yeah, he talks about meeting them both. Um, in Aberdeen. I'm like, okay. That's, yeah. Such a, again, such a dad thing. And so let's go, hi, 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 hi. I think I've met them. Um, but you've actually met them to take yourself as well now. So it's, yes, it's running I in know. the family. I didn't confirm it with them. I didn't go like, here, Mark, <laughs> did you meet my dad in 91? Like, <laughs> um, but yeah, like it just, but no, I like 100% believe that my dad did meet them. Like, that's just, my dad's that kind of, my dad once had like, like, my dad told a story about how, so he used to get the train from Aberdeen to Kirkcaldy, um after he'd get off offshore. And he said he was on a train and this guy, and he was with like a few workmates with some beers on a table and this guy, this this body appeared and was like, hey, can, can I join you for some drinks? I just... I want a drink, but I don't want to drink alone. And they were like, yeah, sure. It was Lemmy from Waterhead. I was like, can I join you? And they were like, sure, mate. Like, of course you can. And half the boys didn't know. And this was like, just when he'd appeared on The Young Ones or something. It was something like they'd just been on like a show. So he'd like sort of like, they were back at like their, their height kind of thing. And there was like a buzz about them. And he was on this train. And it must have been like an Aberdeen to London train or something. Um... But yeah, this just cowboy hat, everything like Lemmy, like was Lemmy all the time. I was just like, yeah, can I share a drink? But he talked about that. And there was the time he met Richard Hammond, but was convinced he worked on an oil rig and kept sort of asking, like, what, what oil rig is you work on? What, what? No, but where, where about, like, is it this? And he just had to go, no, I'm on the telly. He's like, the telly? Where are you on? And he was like, Top Gear. And it was that moment he was like, oh, no, okay, okay, I know who you are. <laughs> um, but that was my dad. My dad's got all those stories about how the time he just, he was sitting on a bench and then to his left was, oh, it was him. And you're like, okay, dad, sure. You've got hundreds of them. My, my only comparative story is uh, my dad used to work at a hospital uh, up in, El well, in Elgin, because that's where I am. Uh, and uh, Fred Macaulay was, was there for some reason opening something, I don't know, uh, and he, he went up to him and went, oh, how you doing? I'm Fred, and I didn't know who he was, so he went, good for you, and walked off. <laughs> <laughs> and I saw him on the telly, I was like, oh, I met him, still don't know who he is, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's, that's one of my, that's my favourite of, he's just so nonplussed about things, and I, I mean, I wouldn't know who he was, but I'd be like, oh, that's quite cool, man. Anyway, right, so you went, how did you go from that to Wrestle Shark then? Oh, that was just because, so, um, I met, I was doing, I was obviously working, I was working for ICW at the time, and met Simon and DCT, and just became friends with them, um, and yeah, I ended up, I basically ended up, when it used to be OWS, when it was a one wrestling show, um, beforehand on Pulse, I used to be part of that, but I ended up coming in when they did a 24-hour, like, 
charity show where we were up for 24 hours. And I said, look, look, well, I'll come in and help out. Like, I'll be your extra hand. So when yous are all... Because at the point, it was just down to them that were on the show. And I was like, you can't, like... Do you need to eat at some point? And you need to have somebody that's going to help you with that, that's going to make sure. So, like, we had a local Domino's just send us pizzas for free because we were doing it for charity, which was lovely. And, like, I made soup and things like that. Like, just sort of went... I'll be the extra pair of hands that help you with that. But I also knew how to run the radio desk because I'd done sort of like um, a course in radio and then I've got a Bachelor of Honours degree in television. So I learned all sort of that side of things. Um, so when I walked in, I was like, oh, I know how to work that. And they were like, what? I was like, I know how to work that. Like, I actually know how to work that. To a point where I was showing them things they didn't know. I was like, well, if you hold that button and slide that down, this is what happens. And they're like, oh, okay. Um, but it was that way we are... I was able, when I walked in, I was like, I can run that desk. And they were like, oh, so it meant that, like, if somebody just wanted to just have a sit on the floor for, like, half an hour for a 24-hour broadcast, they could. So that's kind of how I ended up there. And then it became the big Wrestle Shark show um, when Simon and DCT sort of came in and sort of it sort of changed, obviously, presenters a bit because of their commitments and stuff like that other people had. Um, so yeah, that's how I sort of ended up there. I was the person that would do the weekly um, round off of. I had to like, I had to like convey Raw in a minute or something like. I had like a time on the clock, so I had to like watch all of Raw and then write it in notes, like to like how am I going to say all this in? It was like one or two minutes because they were like, we don't want to talk about it the whole show because it was on a Tuesday. Uh, so tell me what happened in a couple of minutes, and I'd be like. Okay, so I used to have to do that, but I also was able to run the desk. So that's how I ended up involved because I was able to go, go, uh, and knew how to do that. Um, and knew how to use that particular desk with no trouble. Um, but I also like the fact that it was, there was a female voice because at the time there was hardly any female voices in the world of like wrestling broadcasting like even at that point I think when I first started I don't think even Renee Young had started or she'd just come in the door um so even she was new if that makes sense um to have someone who was opinionated and a topic that wasn't just being yeah that was actually knowledgeable in what they were talking about so nobody could argue to the fact of why I was there if that makes sense yeah so you're, you're actually there you had an opinion I mean but women, I suppose, at, at what we're talking about, 2012 or whatever, but we were still like, they were the, the valets or they were the, the one with the microphone holding it, uh, but not actually allowed to have an opinion themselves. And and uh, that's why I was like, that's why I like listening to WrestleShark. I mean, obviously there's plenty of banter. And I started watching wrestling, uh, Scottish wrestling anyway, in 2012. So this is how I was kind of finding out about more that's about because it is stuff about SWA and, and ICW and all that kind of thing as well. Mm -hmm. And it was great to hear like your voice because like, oh, there's a there's a female involved. Great, that's fine. There's a different spin on things. Uh, because like you say, there's not was that many voices. And even now you still get if you're if you're a female fan, uh, oh you like wrestling, name every WWF champion from whatever to now. And it's just 
I can do that. So, so yeah, see if anybody ever does that to me, I go, okay, go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I go, you name them. Why do I need to get tested here? How about we test you instead? Don't give me that chat. Like, enough, enough. Um, yeah, it's I, I, like I do, like I've been that, like when it wasn't like, obviously like I've come around when like the Scottish wrestling boom has come about, but there was, I remember there being like times where I'd go to places just to watch wrestling in like a bar and sometimes I'd be like the only female in the room and it was odd. Now it's not that. Now there are women at the shows, which are great to see in that they feel comfortable coming out to shows. Um it's not as male or it still is obviously quite a male oriented thing because it's bravado and etc. But it's more a welcomed female environment now than what it used to be. Um but yeah, like it was I was on the show because I did have a valid opinion. It wasn't just because we have a girl, it was because well the if anything, the girl runs the show. Like she, she wins the ones that press the buttons to make it work. Um, and I was able to obviously have a valid opinion that wasn't just a case of, oh, they've got a girl. It was, oh, no, she she knows what she's talking about. So, yeah, of course she's on the show. She can talk, and she talks about like it's not just nonsense. It's not just like, well, their gear was really nice. I am very particular on people's gear, but that's just because I'm very particular for myself. Um, but yeah, it wasn't just that. It was very much a case of, like, it's not you come on and talk about the girly things. You know, I'm like, there is, there's, no, that's nonsense. I'll talk about that match and why did it, what was the psychology of this and stuff like that. Um, and yeah, the guys were always, it was never a case of, She's the girl. It was a case of, okay, Louise is here. Um, so was broadcasting always something you wanted to do? Then you said you got a, a um, we got a qualification in, in uh, that kind of thing, that kind of area. So is that something you'd always wanted to do? Yeah, like um, it sort of all works at like how I became a wrestler as well, um, because originally at the time when I was watching wrestling at that point, it's a weird sort of thing where. Originally when I started, I started in production. Um, I, for a long time watching it, I'd never related to any like the female talent that was on screen. So it wasn't that I wasn't confident and happy with who I was. I just thought at that time, watching what I was watching, there wasn't anybody that represented me. There wasn't anybody that was my size or my stature or even had my voice. Nobody had an accent like mine either. Um, so I never felt like I would be welcomed. You know what I mean? I felt like if I tried to go down that path, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be allowed to be part of it as I wasn't, I wasn't, you know what I mean? I wasn't meant to fit in kind of thing. Um, so I never thought that I would ever see myself as being the wrestler. So, but I always knew I wanted to work in wrestling. I wanted to be part of that world. Um, so instead, I would look at like WWE's website, see what jobs were going and sort of what qualifications they were after. And that's what I followed. That's what I went for. I went for what they were looking for and thought, like, well, if I study that, then at least that's the first step in the door. Um, and in doing all that, I ended up 
meeting Billy Kirkwood because I did a project on uh, the Stand Comedy Club and he was the comedian that I would follow. And so I talked to the most. And um, after sort of following him, it was weird. Like, I remember like meeting him and like, we both, we met in a pub and then both discovered we were straight edge. So didn't drink any alcohol. Um, we all both obviously have hunters of hair because that's just it's just always there. Um, I remember he walked in and I had like a Punisher hoodie on, and he had like a Punisher man. But it was really weird our first meeting. I was like, "Are you the male me? Like this is bizarre." And then sort of just chatting away and things like that. And then I remember we did the project. But it always bothered me. He has like a Pepsi Cola tattoo on the inside of his arm, right? So obviously in my head, I'm like, does he just like Pepsi Cola or does he like CM Punk? But at the same time, I was like, you can't ask that because if you ask that question and he thinks, who is this nutter? Like, all right, cool. And I remember it was after the project was done because I thought, no, don't do it the now while the project... Weirdly at that point, I only had like a small group of friends that even watched wrestling that I could talk to. I didn't have the vast my friends that I have now that watch wrestling that I can talk to and um I sort of like I waited and waited and then I remember like we were going like oh here's some of the finished project and saying it to me and I went can I ask you a question that's either going to make a lot of sense or none at all and I was like is it just Pep- do you just really like Pepsi Cola or are you a big CM Punk fan and he was like well yeah I do like Pepsi Cola how do you know who CM Punk is? And I was like, oh, wait, you know who CM Punk is? And uh, so we discovered we both were really into wrestling and really liked wrestling. And to sort of just build a friendship kind of thing from that. And he messaged me saying like, you need to come see this. I've just got this gig with a company called ICW. Um, They're basically Glaswegian ECW. Um, It's a bit mental. I think you'll love it. And, like, I remember him talking about the one wrestling show. He was on the one wrestling show at the time. And he did this, and they were talking about it. And I remember sort of chatting to him, and he was like, right, your name's on the door, like, come and see this. And I like, I, I dragged the mate of mine who'd never been at a wrestling show before. But I was like, come on, come on, come on, it'll be fun. And um, it was mental. Like, it was when they were doing their first ever, like, My Channel um, pilot when they were trying to do that way, going doing like the back channels of Sky. Look at where they are now, like things have changed. Um, but at that time, that was a big deal. And like, that was like the infamous street fight where the second last match of this pilot, the, the ring just collapsed, like it properly was broken. Like it wasn't getting fixed. And then the street match and it went out in the streets and somebody got thrown into a bus and like a, a riot van ended up appearing at the end, like after the show was done because they thought it was the year of the London riots and they thought the Glasgow riot was starting. There were six men in Lycra and a bunch of people going, I see, Tob. Why they thought it was a London the, the riot start, I don't know, but people panicked and phoned the police. And um, But it was great. Like it was just mental when I was just like, I need to work here. And obviously at the time, it was getting a point where I was going to need to look for like a work placement. I was going to need to find some place that I could sort of have credits from, let's say, to, to for, my, for my degree. And I was like, I'm going to make this it. So I ended up meeting Dallas um, and basically said to him, look, I can get you a camera. Like I've got insurance taken out at, at, at my uni. I, mean, I can get you a camera. I can get you microphones. I can get you lights and stuff. Um, 
to save you having to constantly hire these 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 ones. I was like, I can get you for nothing for a couple of years. All, all I'm asking is when I come to you with a bit of paper at the end of each year, you just sign it and say, yes, she did this. I went, it will be facts. It will be what I'm going to do. I went, but I just need you to be like, yes. And like, I'll write a thing and you just sign it. And he was like, cool, no bother, mate. That sounds great, right? And obviously at that point, like that's really when they just went into like classic grand and they really just left Mary Hill. And they'd go back a couple of times, but um, it was sort of the moving up from like classic grand day and it moved into obviously the garage and stuff like that in Glasgow. Um, so yeah, that's kind of what I did for ages. Like I, that sort of, it sort of had this production side of things and had these qualifications. The only thing is, is once I left uni, I never left. Um, I ended up staying there for ages and then I ended up sort of training within that. Um, but yeah, that sort of helped with the, sort of the qualifications ended up becoming a thing, but it basically was a wrestling degree. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. It's it's like it's like you've you've took the most logical approach to get into the wrestling business to make it your life, and uh, of course, then you did uh, the backstage interviews. Uh, what was that like being in front of camera instead of of doing the radio or things like that? What was that like for you? See, that was fine. I've never sort of been camera shy. I was always like, as a kid, I was always trying to just thing and dance even though I was boisterous I was always just sort of like like I always like to like I love going to Butlins so I can just dance all night and have a wee sing and things like that I always sort of enjoy that was the most sort of girly aspect of me um is that I love a dance <laughs> but yes I was never like camera shy I was just trying to find the right approach but obviously when I wasn't on for the camera I ended up that I was behind the camera I was doing a lot of the sort of the backstage sort of directing of the promos and getting people to find their voice and stuff like that, um, which is why I don't have any problem with mine. Um, I don't have any fears in that department because let's be honest, if the person who spent nearly a decade getting people to talk couldn't talk herself, something's right. <laughs> like, um, but yeah, it was sort of that way. So like, I had no qualms going in front of... Um, the camera and to be honest like even when we'd be wrestling as kids I usually pretend to be that person too like like oh how did your match go and like even though it was just nonsense um but yeah I had no issue doing that but obviously I ended up with my crew which was the lovely Veronica Lestrange and Jennifer Louise who are two of my absolute best friends in the world love the pair of them still um and yeah we were this little this little group of girls that were like, come talk to us now. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I had absolutely no qualms doing that, going in front of the camera. In fact, they let me show off some lovely dresses I had. <laughs> um, so you went from that, doing all that behind the camera, in front of the camera, and then you joined GPWA. Were you in the first batch of uh, trainees? I am technically student number one. Um... I am the prototype. Um, yeah, no, there's like, this is sort of where it becomes like a, a weird rom, it could be like a weird rom-com. Um, but at the time, I remember it was in an Edinburgh show. And I'm like, it's weird. You know, just there's certain moments in time that like vividly stick in your head. This was one of them. 
and it was like before he it was even it was before there was any romantic interest at all we were just work colleagues at the time but um wolfgang who is now my husband um we were literally passing beams it was in studio 24 in edinburgh and like the way that went out from the venue was there was this wee back door and it would go like diagonally like it'd go from literally the door going out there was a corridor and then there was the fire escape so we'd pass the beams out diagonally and it was absolutely teaming it down outside like it was just lashing I remember like it was me and Wolfgang we were passing these beams to the van and um, like so I'd pass it from there to him he'd pass it to the next guy put it in the van and he was just chatting to me he genuinely was just talking to me about how he always wanted he had, basically how he seen his next step in Scottish wrestling was to coach um and he really had this sort of idea I had in mind on how he'd like sort of wrestling coaching to happen and obviously at the time there was in Glasgow in particular there was the two major schools which was PBW and Source and at that time like it was two sort of friends of his that were running the schools and he didn't want to upset one or the other by going to the other um, but also at the same time he didn't want to just follow someone else's sort of he didn't want to come in and be like this should all change when it's not his school you know what I mean so he had this sort of idea that he wanted so he was talking to me about it and he was talking about how like he wanted to sort of coach and he had his own ideas and he sort of had an idea of like who he would who would be his other coaches and how they would go about it and he just had this idea in his head so as a mate at the time I sort of said to him right okay I'll be student number one and at that point I didn't think myself as I'm going to be a wrestler I thought I'll learn a different perspective the only thing I didn't know at the time was what happened between the ropes, like what happened inside the ropes. I only I knew everything that happened on outside, where the camera's going, how it was cabled up, like how the door, what times, everything outside. But I didn't know anything inside. And I thought, if I do this, and it was like an eight-week induction course, I could learn a different perspective. I could apply it to what I want to do going forward, and hopefully that will make my filming technique better or it make that you know what I mean that kind of that sort of feeling towards it so I can understand if the guys are coming back and saying well well I just did this this and this I can go right okay but we'll do that um but it was a weird sort of thing like after that sort of like a year later after that conversation GPWA was born which of course was Wolfgang, BT Gun, Red Lightning, Jack Jester and the the God rest his soul, uh, Lionheart, um, started up the school. Um, and I remember doing the eight weeks and at the end they would sit you down. At the, and, and the way that GPWA works as a school is you initially do like an eight week induction course and they basically see sort of like what your capabilities are like in a physical manner and like a logical manner and everything like that. And if this is for you um, and if for it, so like it's really strange. One of the things a lot of people ask me is a lot of people come up to me and talk to me about how like, oh, I'd love to be a wrestler. I'd love to be, I just don't think I could. And the one question I ask them, and, and it honestly tells me a lot, is can you do a forward roll? If you can do a forward roll, you have more hope than you think because it's such an important vital thing that a lot of people assume they can do it because they did them when they were kids but aren't able to do it now. And it, and it can happen for many, it can happen for many reasons. And it's not just me saying that thinking, it's just 
giant guys that can't do them. Like, there's giant guys that can do them with no problem, like, just constantly do loops. And then there's skinny guys that just can't do it. But it's such an important role in order to keep things safe and to keep, you know what I mean? Like, yourself safe as well, that if you're unable to do that sort of thing, this isn't really for you or you need to go address things, maybe something that's physical or health, a health choice, till you're able to do that kind of thing. That the forward rows is just an example of something that, and, and for some reason that is a thing. Like there's a lot of people that come in, and as soon as you go do a forward row, you just can't. Like there's been boys that have done it, and for some reason went swiftly to the thing and like ran their heads into walls and everything. Like it's just like you're like, oh, what happened there? Um, but it is. It's not a. It's not an uncommon issue to be a, to arise, but it is something that needs addressed. Um, if it is an issue, because it's not just, as wrestling is, it's not just a one-person game. There's two to ta three to tango in total, if you think about the ref as well, as well as if the match is even bigger. Um, so that's how they do it. So they sort of do an, an induction, an eight-week induction to a certain point, and you're able to do this, then you move on to the second class, and then you sort of start getting a bit more advanced with things. And then once you get to that point, you move into the third sort of main class, and that's when you start sort of doing a lot more advanced stuff, a lot more intense sort of drills and things like that to properly prepare you for eventually either finding who you are as a performer, who you are as a talent, and sort of what you're going to sort of convey when, when you're out there performing, like um, what style suits you best, et cetera, et cetera. That's sort of when you come into the main class. And for me, that's the perfect way for me to be coached. I'm not saying any other other school is doing it wrong or they're doing it, but they are doing it differently. But for me, GPW was the the perfect way to go in. I, I like this sort of like intense sort of looking how things are and the honesty that was there. So after sort of my eight weeks, they would sort of sit you down. They would either discuss if you're moving on to the next class or what you need to go about or what they think you need to do in order to get yourself to there if you really want to do it this is what you need to do in order to get there um and i always this will always always i'll always remember this uh it was adrian himself lionheart um sitting there and saying to me and i quote i'm going to be honest mate i thought you were going to be shit <laughs> i was like Th thanks uh, anyway but you weren't you weren't the best but you also weren't terrible you could do this and sort of from there going I could do this and it was that weird sort of notion at the time was sort of like when like Piper Niven Viper however however you know her was sort of dominating and just killing it in Japan and she was com completely doing it in the comfort of her own skin she was so confident in it like She's beautiful how much confidence oozes out of this girl. Um, and she's absolutely killing it in NXT UK as well right now. But it's that way where it was weird sort of finding myself in the place that I always wanted to be. But because of what was portrayed to me for years, just thought I wasn't wanted. And I wasn't like, I was never to fit in that world. And for eventually to find it and go, oh, 
wait, I could do this and I can do it being me. I can do it being the shape, the size and shape I am. I can do it with the accent that I have. I can travel around the world doing this and people will want to see me as long as I put the graft in, as long as I work hard and I, and I do what is needed, then I could do this. And yeah, that's sort of how I became a wrestler. Um, and I've never sort of looked back from thinking I was just going to learn it from a different perspective to actually doing it as my job is, is mad. And it's, it's, I've never been, I've never been more confident in what I'm doing for work than I have now. Um, I was always good at my other jobs, but they were always just jobs, if that makes sense. Like they're always just jobs into the next job, into the next job, where this is something that I think about constantly. I'm constantly looking for like, oh, I could buy that jacket because that'd be good for this, or I can do, like, it's always on my mind. And I think that's, and I'm always wanting to get better, like constantly try, striving to be better and, and yeah, be irreplaceable when I go to places, if that makes sense. I mean, passion always will, will override ability for a lot of people, for, for myself watching. Um, it could be a match where nothing happens, but if I see that the wrestlers want it, or at least putting everything they, they are into it, then I'll remember mm -hmm. that match more than I will remember a 20-minute uh everything happened kind of match because to just go through the motions as well. Oh, um, like storytelling is, is completely key. Like I think one of my, it was um, Valentine's Day, that match between uh, um, Pete Dunne and Finn Balor was incredible. And it was the psychology of it. It wasn't full of falsies and it wasn't just pin after pin after pin of some big thing or that. Like there was a genuine point where you're just going, I actually don't know how this is going, which is, that's key. And I feel like both uh, Finn is great at that, but Pete is the master of it. Like, watching him, like I, I've, I've actively said to folk, I was like, I could have an hour match with Pete and for 45 minutes he would work my arm. You know what I mean? It's that kind of thing that you know, he's he's got such great psychology. And when you break his matches down, it's, it's incredible. Like, it's nothing but it's everything at the same time. Um, and he's just, uh, he's he's very good, that Pete Dunne. It's very, very good. <laughs> it's not bad. But yeah, speaking of that match, because uh, lockdown's happening, I'm able to stay up and watch these shows now and not fear about having to look presentable for work. This is my office now uh, for the time being. But that match itself was, it was all built upon how Pete works a, an arm, a limb, a finger. And so when, when it was coming towards the end, um, when he thought, oh, Finn Balor's got this, as soon as Pete grabs the hand or wrist, and you saw the fear yeah. in Finn's face, I was like, oh, this yeah, is gone. So, I don't know if he ever got broadcast. I'm hoping it did, but I remember being at Download, and it was Pete Dunne versus Champa, right? It was like the main event in one of the Download shows, right? And obviously Pete was um, the UK champ at that point. And genuinely, there was a point where I thought, oh, my God, they're going to change the title. At a festival in the middle of a field in Donington, they were so, it was so good and so captivating that there was, like, squeaky bum time where I was like, oh, my God, they might give this to chat. What the? 
no like it was so good and I always remember that going they made me me believe that something might be happening like a person that studies everything believe that they could change the title here which meant which was just great storytelling because obviously like people have that perception and I like it's the sort of thing where I have I have a discussion with like AW Dark right it's the prime example I watch it every week I still watch it because I watch everything but it's, it's very predictable and sometimes it gets a bit boring when I see like one of the main roster on it because I'm like well they're winning or they're winning or they you know what I mean like when you get something that's might be more sort of the more unknowns and not the main cast. That's when I get excited when I see those matches because I'm like, I'm actually not sure how that's going to go out. That could go either way. The other matches I get excited for, but it wasn't like, so you assume that when you go to Donington and you're in the, there's the sort of, and then unless they're getting recorded kind of thing for NXT UK, you sort of assume that you know the outcome, you know what's happening, you know, especially when there's a title on the line. You kind of have that assumption of like, well, I know how this is going, but for to make that ten actually think for a moment, this might change hands. Was just ah, it was beautiful. Um, uh, but I, well, the example that I have in my head is it's it's very much on the lower end of the scale. But I was in Aberdeen. Again, shouldn't have a title change in WWE and Aberdeen show. Never going to happen. But for some reason, I was watching, I think it was, I want to say it was Mickey James against Beth Phoenix, because the two, I think it was them. And they had a, 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 like, the nearest of near falls. I think Beth is the champion at the time. And mm-hmm. I was just like, oh my God, they've actually changed the title at Aberdeen. Why? How? Why? <laughs> I was like so excited about it. And then, of course, it was like, Oh, two count. No. But, um, yeah. No, it wasn't. <laughs> no. No, Beth Phoenix won. That's, damn it. But, uh, yeah, wrestling's just... Yeah, I, I always think that wrestling's best when you switch off and enjoy it, like yourself. You you, mm-hmm. you, you might be studying it in the back of your mind, but at the front, you're just going, I just want to watch some wrestling. I'm enjoying what I'm seeing. Oh, my God, this could change at any time. And, um, mm-hmm. like, you have that... It's one of those things where... You could probably talk to wrestlers and... So one of the things that annoys me is when I hear wrestlers calling wrestling fans marks, because to me, we're the biggest marks of them all because we went and learned how to do it. We're actually putting our bodies on the line because we enjoy a telly show so much that we went, I'm doing that. Like, we're the biggest marks out of all of us. So if they hear anybody, I'm like, shut up, shut up, shh. But it's that way where I love going to watch wrestling, but like, see, when I go away to like see, watch Mania or a takeover, things like that, like, although I love going with some rest- wrestling friends of mine, I like going with my friends who aren't wrestlers because they're not, they've not got the same brain. Like, they go to enjoy it. So I'm able to just sort of go, right. I'm just watching wrestling. And there's times where I've got in with wrestling friends and went, right, right, we're no wrestlers tonight. Let's just enjoy this. Let's not look too much into how that made this and did they try that and no, stop it, right? We need to think of it. And like, I've actually had friends who are not wrestlers sometimes say to me going, 
did they do that because of this? And I'll go, yeah, like they'll get that wee bit. And I'll be like, yeah, that's great. We're there. Like, but it's that way where I do, like the Inside the Ropes crew are predominantly my crew to go watch wrestling with. And when I go to Mania or I go to like a takeover and stuff, I'll go like, even the last takeover, proper takeover in Blackpool, there's like videos of like that Kenny did of me where, um, <laughs> It was when the double senton happened off the ladder onto my husband, yep. who was on a table. And, or was he on? Oh, he was on a table. Or was he on a ladder? He was on something, right? And he went off. And there's me taking off the engagement ring on. Well, that's me single again. Take that, hating on. And I, it was just us having a laugh. Even though it was my, it was my soon-to-be, at that point, soon-to-be husband, who was... <laughs> with being at her, I was just like, nope. But like, it was also like learning things as well. So like, the beauty of him being there, I sort, of, I sort of learned new things. So, did you know that a rule in tag wrestling is you're only allowed, legally you're allowed one breakup per team, right? Which a lot of people don't realise is a thing, but it is. Like, legally one team is allowed to make a, like a save, a breakup. And then you're not allowed to do it anymore. So there was like a point, I remember there being a point in that match of me going, where's Imperium? Where's Imperium? And I'm going, why are you looking for Imperium? I was like, they've got a breakup. Vets have had theirs. Flashing Andrews have had theirs. Gals have had theirs. Where's Imperium? And at that point, I just remember seeing like Fabian Eichner's bald head appear from the other side of the ring. And I was like, there we are, there we are. Like, so that's like a thing that I've like, weirdly like the wrestler brain in me goes, no, you're only like one breakup each. So like explaining it to my mates, they were like, oh, I didn't know that. I didn't like I didn't realise that was I was like, that's a thing. So now it's a thing you'll watch, especially multi-man like tag matches, you're gonna watch and go, Oh yeah. One, two, three. You know what I mean? You're gonna notice that now because that's a rule. Um so yeah, like I'll bring out wrestler brain sometimes to them and they'll go, Oh, right, okay. But it allows me to detach myself from it because I do at the end of the day. I do love wrestling and I enjoy it. And if something cool happens, I love running in and being like, look at this, look at this. Watch this again, play, rebound. Look at that. Like, um, yeah, me and me and Casey are the worst for it. Like, we'll send each other stuff all the time. Like, look at this. This is cool. What about this? Did you see this? No. Like, she's she can detach herself. Like, we our first mania was um, 33 when the Hardy Boys came back. And that was like they're her fave. Like she instantly just starts crying. <laughs> There's this absolute screamer of a photo of the pair of us, and I'm just like, and she was just like, ah! <laughs> um, and she lost it, and I was just like, yes, okay, we can do this. And even like BT Gun, his favorite too. He was going, we were all going mental, and it was that moment where I was like, right, we're all fans, like. We've stopped being there. We're all fans now. And it was just, it's so much fun when you can just go, no, there's a reason we started doing this. It's because we think it's great. So let's enjoy it. Uh, there was a lot to unpack in that that I had thoughts on. Uh, the bit about tag team wrestling. Yes, I, I listened to, I was somehow in uh, Krieger's um, lesson about tag team wrestling and looking Sharp's online dojo. And then the very next day, I watched a tag match, uh, AMW against the Clive Crew. I was like, oh, that's that's what Krieger said. Oh, they're doing that. Oh, they're, they're doing this. I was like, 
my God, there's a new layer of things that I didn't, I never knew after 20 years of watching wrestling. Yeah. Um, that Marks thing, I'm sure I heard it on WrestleShark uh, and it's always stuck in my head because... I mean, it holds more weight with your cell and actual wrestlers saying it. But uh, for me going, but wrestlers are the biggest marks. They're, they're doing it. It's so. all the same for me. <laughs> like, it's a thing I've said for years. Like, who are you? I remember actually Adrian, I think, once tweeted it out and he messaged me going, is it cool if I write this? Because you're right. And I was like, yeah, yeah, go ahead, mate. And he, wrote, he tweeted about it. But it was something I've said for years. So I was like, what are we talking about? Like, I went on a WWE website, looked up what job qualifications they were, and then spent my years in university. Get, you know what I mean? Like, I am the biggest mark that is going. It's not a bad thing. Like, there's a difference. Like, I think what they mean is people that are, like, annoying and invasive. That's got nothing to do with a fandom of wrestling. People are annoying and invasive. That's because they're annoying and invasive. They're just annoying and invasive to wrestlers. It's got nothing, like... They could put that energy in like Game of Thrones actors or whatever. There's 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 people exactly the same, but just a different topic everywhere. But like just treating everybody the same, I'm like, no, no, everybody's different. And being a mark isn't a bad thing. Like sometimes it's sometimes it gets you far. So, so when sometimes that you're uh, being a bit in WrestleMania. Uh, that's just that's just how life goes. Um, right, so we're back into the wrestling a little bit. Um, you had your we talked talked about your training, talked about how you got there. Your first match, um, I did have it written down. I don't have it written down. It was against Casey, wasn't it? Am I right thinking so that? My first, my first, so my first wrestling outing was at a gala day, which was in a battle royale, which uh, obviously at the time was just my coach, um, but uh, Wolfgang Gorilla pressed me out of ring, I scraped my shit, and it was literally a wee scrape off the edge, and I ended up getting a staph infection in it, so I had a scar on my leg, which I jokingly said, like, you were leaving your mark on me all those years ago, <laughs> but you're like, that one's mine, <laughs> uh, but that was my first wrestling out in which uh, there's photos of me in it, and I've got this mad, colourful gear, with like, boot, like nothing like I am now, but it was one of those cases of just like, right, so we've got this, you're going to be in it, get something to wear. <laughs> okay. Um, but my first proper match where like I had, like I had, like I was able to properly like think about it and worry about it, because <laughs> we all do on our first one, was actually a tag match. And it was myself and Carmel Jacobs against the Owens twins. Um, and it was great. And yeah, that was my, my first one. It was great to be in a ring with those girls who I'd worked with and got to be friends with as well. So they were kind of like, it's okay. It's going to be fine. And I'm like, okay, okay. And my first singles match was with Casey as well. Um, so yeah, I've had my Galladay out and my, my first match was a tag match and then my first singles match was with Casey. So Casey's been with me the whole time. I just kind of get rid of her. Like, I try and lose her in the forest sometimes, but she finds me again. <laughs> um, so you did say that everyone was kind of around you, just saying, it'll be fine, but what were your initial thoughts going to, into the... I mean, your first couple outings, even tag team singles, what was your first, like, a reaction uh, with getting everyone involved, actually doing the moves, make sure everyone's safe? Uh, there's a lot to think about. So how was it? Like, I, I pride myself in being 
um, safe. Like I've never had any major injuries or problems happen in the match. I've never done anything like that. So that I'm I'm, I'm kind of proud. I've got like a weird thing where I sort of like have this weird ritual in my head where if I think if I don't do it, somebody's going to die. But it's not true, but I have it in my head. Um, but yeah, like on my first, I just remember just thinking like that this was like a, a, a massive change, like direction change. But that weird sort of thing where like I made friends with all these guys and all these girls for about five, six years. And then I was stepping into their world. So I felt like, I have to be at least decent at this. I don't have to be good, but I at least need to show how dedicated and how um, how much I love this because I didn't want to insult the people that I know had been working their backsides off to even build ICW to what it was at that time. Never mind what it is now. Um, so yeah, it was more like I knew I had to show them that this wasn't just me thinking, I can do this. You know what I mean? Like when people just sort of watch comedians and go, I can do that. Like, no, you can't. And it's the same sort of thing. Like, no, like you can't just be a wrestler. You can't, no, you can be a wrestler, but you to be a good one, to be somebody that's believable, to be someone that is, that has at least a future. Like they weren't expecting me to come out and just instantly be a superstar, but at the same time, I wanted to make sure that they thought she's competent enough for a future and she's clearly not here to just play wrestler. She actually wants to do this. Um, so, yeah, it was like a lot of pressure, but at the same time, I had a nice, had a good environment around me who were behind me and had all the confidence in me. Um, but at the same time, I knew and I, I need to at least do well. Doesn't have to be perfect. Nobody's first match is perfect, um, but at least well enough that people would say, "You know what? She she, she can do this." Um, and then from that point onwards, Chris did PWE. He uh, did a bit with the team uh, GPWA and team um, PWE. Was it was or was it a site? It was, it was all you guys kind of uh, against yeah. each other, pretty much. Um, and then you seem to have made a staple of yourself down south, down in England. Um, was was that a, a conscious decision? Because you kind of planted your roots in like Future Shock and TNT, um, as opposed to up here. Was that was there any further thought? Or was that just no, where, like, what happened? It's a weird sort of thing where, obviously not at that point, I'd obviously wrestled up here for a few places predominantly was for sort of GPWA stuff so I'd had matches but it was weird there was a point in time where I remember looking in my diary at the end of one year and realizing that I'd wrestled every single weekend but I hadn't wrestled in Scotland and it was that it was a weird sort of notion where I was like I'm like like there was a place I remember I worked for a company called Tidal in Leeds and them actively saying to me, yeah, no, but we booked you because you're known at Future Shock. Like, you're known in this area. And I was like, oh, okay. Like, it, because I worked in Manchester, I got a booking in Leeds. It wasn't because I was, you know what I mean? It was like, well, people are aware of your face. They've seen your face in this, sort of in this section of the country. So, yeah, that's why you got booked. And I was like, 
oh, okay, that's cool. Um, but I, there was a point where, not even like work, working just down south, like I spent more time on aeroplanes than I did wrestling, like going to other countries, never mind like wrestling in my own country. And it was a bit bizarre to say. Um, but for me, it was that case of, we took, we, I took a, like a, we had a seminar with Nigel McGuinness. I remember he came in and heard this seminar. And one of the things he said is that he wished, the one thing that he would change is that he would wish that he'd went and just got more matches under his belt rather than waiting and like trying to get that. If And at that point, like with GPWA, because there's like, there's sort of like stepping stones, right, to the thing. So once you've done your training and stuff and you're at a point where you're ready for a show, there's the five pound wrestling shows. So it's a fiver to get in. This is probably when like friends and family and stuff like that come to see what people have potentially been up to, right? They come and knows of what's this thing you keep leaving to go do for hours on end and then why are you watching these tapes and stuff? So they come and watch. And then it goes up to Wrestling Experience Scotland, which is obviously the family orientated shows, which happen in all different places. They were going to be in Glen Office and Bathgate and stuff like that. It wasn't just in Glasgow where you're from kind of thing. And then obviously the next one up there is ICW, which is a whole different lion's den. Like you've got to be able to impress to be in there kind of thing. Um, but yeah, it was that weird sort of notion, but instead of just, I'd done sort of at that point, it was before five pound wrestling was really a thing, but I'd done like the asylum shows, I'd done that sort of thing. And then the opportunity came about for me to do a booking at Future Shock. And I'd known Chris Brooker, the guy that was running and booking the shows there for a while. I'd sort of helped a couple of tours of his, be it like with Rowdy Ray Piper or DDP. Um, so I just being a helping hand because he was friends with Billy and I thought, well, hi, I can help. I'm, I'm happy to direct people and stuff like that. And um, he started running Future Shock. And in all honesty, my first booking, it's probably because I was his friend, you know what I mean? And But he knew that I was at a point where I was getting bookings, I was doing matches, I was capable enough to do a match, if that makes sense. Like, it was the early days of Molly Spartan being the wrestler, um, but I was one of the capable. So um, I know, like, at that show, Wolfgang was booked as well, and we both sort of drove down. But at the same time, it was that weird notion going into it, thinking... I'm aware of Future Shock. Like, I'm from Kirkcaldy. I live in Glasgow. But I'm aware of Future Shock. I know the promotion Future Shock. I know who's come from Future Shock. And at that point in time, the roster had um, Zach Gibson, James Drake, Ashton Smith, T-Bone. They, they were sort of, that mainstay were all there performing regularly. And it was quite a, like, oh, this is like a... This is quite an interesting locker room. And of course, Lana Austin was there, who's just a mainstay in British wrestling, never mind female British wrestling, but in British wrestling. And um, that was who I was up against. So I knew that this was like a, a chance for me to sort of really learn and learn a different area altogether, a different locker room altogether. Um, and sort of have a match with someone like Lana um, and have those sorts of eyes around me to give me feedback. You know what I mean? Like a different sort of feedback kind of thing as well. Um, but I also knew that if I maybe, if I, if I really try, like if I kicked down the door and took the bull by the horns, I might get asked back. And that was sort of my thinking going in. 
but to my surprise, a few months later, I was asked back and asked to stay for like roughly about a year plus. And at that point, I brought in, it was me and Jayla Dart to start with, and then it moved into me, Jayla Dark, and uh, Casey Owens joining. Surprise, surprise, I can't get rid of Casey Owens. She just seems to always be there. Um, but, um, yeah, it was interesting, like, so a totally different area, fully having confidence in you. Yeah, back home, it was just wasn't happening. And it wasn't that I wasn't talking to people and trying, it just wasn't happening. They would either have an idea of somebody from their school that they wanted to do, or they had this, that, and the next thing. It just wasn't really happening. But I didn't take a, like, a huff in that. I just went, okay, I understand. I'll go find someplace else that will have me, if that makes sense. Like, I'll wrestle everywhere and anywhere. I've wrestled in some of the best rings and some of the worst rings in the country and in the world, if I can say that. Um, but I always just took it as everything. Like, I'm just going to learn. And it was that sort of thing with, with Nigel McGuinness saying that he wish he sort of got out there and sort of got more matches under his belt when he knew he was ready for it. And because I'd done the asylum shows and because of that, I knew I was ready to have more matches. I just wanted to wrestle as many people as I could that wasn't just from where I was in order to learn. Because really that's when you learn, when you step in with varieties of different... So I've, I've had matches with people that speak not a word of English, I've had matches with people that speak too much. Um, I've had, um, you know what I mean? But I've got this vast experience over a period of time because I didn't just go, I'm just going to wait until I get a booking here or a booking here. I'm going to sit in a car for five, six hours and go drive and do it in some working man's club in the middle of a housing estate and wherever. And I'm going to have a great time. I'm going to have fun doing it. And then I'm going to come back because it was all learning. It was all matches and it was like new matches that I can have. And if I had a real screamer, I can maybe ask for a copy of it to then send to the next promoter and to send this. So it was very sort of proactive in that way where I will just sort of ask like, hi, can I send you matches for consideration in the future? And most people sort of go, yeah, here's an email address, all right, I'll send you this, this and this, and I'll send stuff over to them. Um, and nine times out of 10, I get nothing back, but that one one out of 10 is at least something. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, that's the only reason why I think it was, in, but now I've done so much that I've worked for companies like ROH and I've worked for, like I've, I've become like a mainstay in Liverpool now with TNT with the She-Wolves which again was another thing that I sort of approached uh, with an idea and they listened, which was great. It's a great place to work because of that. Um, but yeah, like making myself a mainstay in Manchester for a long period of time, even holding their championship, which has such a long line of lineage, is that like looking at them who's, who's held it, it's just cool to be in that group of people. Um, and then moving up to Liverpool and sort of still keeping a name there and like I wrestle in like Newcastle a lot and everybody's cool there. Like they know who I am because I've been there already kind of thing. And they see the development as well of who Molly Spartan is from the first time they seen her to who she is now. Um, but yeah, like I've been to different countries. Like the last country, like I think my last match before lockdown was the Pavilion show in Glasgow, but I'd literally like, 
couple of days, but flew back in from Germany. And weirdly, again, I was wrestling Casey. Uh, I can't get rid of her, even when I go to Germany. Um, but, yeah, it's that kind of way where I've done... I think I've done so much now that um, you can't ignore me. Any, if, if you know what I mean, like, you, you sort of need to acknowledge the fact, like, okay, right, yeah, we can't ignore her anymore. She, we need we need her now. And it's good, because it's only down the road. <laughs> like, I, I may have found my favourite McDonald's. It's at Johnston Bridge. Just as you, it's, an hour, it's an hour outside of Glasgow. It's an hour drive home before you back, get back home. But it's just over the border. It's not the Gretna one, but it's the one... Like, this is how much I know. I know, like... I'm getting chicken nuggets now. Like, that's how much I'm good at this, this one. And I, and I have, like, hot chicken nuggets. I want fresh fries and fresh chicken nuggets after I've just wrestled and sat in a car for three hours to get here. Come on. None of you sitting one sitting for a while. Fresh ones. Get the bad boys in. Um, but, yeah, that's sort of... How that explains it. I kind of rabbled a bit. <laughs> that's all right. I'm, I'm fairly certain you've seen my notes. Because as you were going through, I was going... Yep, TNT. Yep, She Wolves. Yep, Grado's Family Bash. All these just getting ticked off, and I didn't even <laughs> ask them. So that's fine. Um, so yeah, okay. So you, you mentioned Germany, but the one I was like, I didn't know about, uh, which uh, I I'm disappointed as as someone who's supposed to be all knowing in the Scottish wrestling uh, scene, is wrestling Israel. Yeah. How's um, that? It was like it was great, like. Um, the show um, was great. Um, it was one of the best rings I've ever wrestled in, but I think it's because they hardly ever had it up. Um, but yeah, there's like this this this, this company um, IPWA, um, and they're one of like the only wrestling companies there. Um, but no, like, this show was mad. Like, it was sort of that mad sort of thing where... So the poster was... There was one sort of local guy on the poster. There was me. And there was Billy Cunn, Darby Allen, Sammy Guevara, um, uh, Matt Seidel. Yeah. And, and, and me. And I was the female import. And I was like... How's this happened? <laughs> like, like... What? I like, there was points where like, I was trying to like stretch out and Sammy Guevara's going past with his like GoPro doing a vlog and he's like, sorry. And I'm like, it's all right, it's fine. Like, um, but yeah, it was great. It, it was one of the first places that I've wrestled where like, so when I was over there, I had to switch my like roaming data on my phone or I would have had like a ridiculous phone bill. Um, so the only time I ever had like internet was when I was in my hotel and I had Wi-Fi. And, uh, but it was one of the first places where after the show, I was like inundated with messages of people just saying, thank you for coming. Like, thanks for coming. I really, we really appreciate it. Like, not like people don't really come to wrestle here. And I was like, okay. And like, they were so nice and respectful. Like when I landed, there was somebody there picking me up. They took me to dinner. They got me in my hotel. They drove me wherever I needed and like and I was like this is weird and my one of the icing on the cake right and I'll give you this the icing on the cake was being able to like after the show so the show was incredible like people were really responsive their setup was like 
it was in like a cinema. I've never been in a place like this before. It was like the place where you walk, if you walked around the building, there was all these like life-size mannequins of stuff. So like you walked in and like one side had like the Imperial Army. So it was on Stormtroopers and another side was all the Power Rangers. And then you'd walk through and then there was just like, I, it was mad. There was like a Woody and Buzz and then there was all this stuff about it and it was cool. And um, but it was in like a cinema. So it was like tiered seating and then there was a stage. Um, but no, it was great. Everybody was nice. They had like lovely food in that put aside from us at the back. Um, but it was afterwards going to dinner with Billy Gunn. So I went to dinner with Billy Gunn and these sort of um, two Israeli sort of born um, wrestlers, but who trained with Billy in America. And um, like that seemed to be a way that a lot of them sort of learned how to get better was a couple of them would go away to like Billy Gunn or like maybe the 3D school or like Landstorm school, then come back to Tel Aviv and teach the others what they'd learn. And it was really interesting. And they had some really good talent that was over there and um, and the, like completely capable and had the whole gear and stuff. But then going to... T- <laughs> so... Have you ever seen the film *Inglorious Bastards*? Uh, I have not, but I, I know I know enough of it. I know enough about oh, it. But this reference, right? Okay, everybody else who's seen the film will understand this reference. The best way I describe Billy Gunn is he. <laughs> we walked into this restaurant, right? And what he did was, when Brad Pitt appears in the film. And he's pretending to be the Italian director, right? That's Billy Gunn, right? He walked into this restaurant and was like, buongiorno. And then I was like, what? And I just went, oh my God, you're Brad Pitt for that thing, Glory Spassers. And I was like, this is great. And then there was another point where we were walking through the car park, going to the car. And (laughs) so this old woman drives up beside him. Why she drove up to Billy Gunn? Because she's so clearly American, right? Drives up to him, rolls down his window and is shit like asking him something in Hebrew. He's not got a clue what she's saying. And all he does is he keeps on saying, see, see, see. And I'm like, what is happening here, right? And she's getting more and more annoyed in this car. She's like, and she's shouting up. Now I look over at the two boys with Tel Aviv and they are crying, right? They are crying of laughter. And I'm going, I don't understand what's happening here. It's not that funny, right? And then with the woman eventually just drives off in a rage. And he's like, well, what was wrong with her? And they went, in Hebrew, C pretty much translates into faster. So he's just been going, faster, faster, faster to this poor woman who's asking for directions and he's just going faster <laughs> and she's just going oh. she's just going away and I'm like oh my god but like even like when I first got in the car I hadn't like met him that morning I got in the car like we walked to the car and we hadn't really spoken I like got in the car I remember like opening my mouth for the first time because I was thinking like I'm not just going to sit in this car in silence I'm going to talk, like I'm going to be part of this conversation because they three knew each other and I was the new person. And uh, I ended up speaking and he just went, "Uh, where are you from? Because you've got a different voice to them, right? And I went, yeah, but 
mine's is a wee bit sexy. <laughs> and he was just like, yeah. <laughs> but it was that way when he was just great. But one of the major sort of things was, so a couple of years beforehand, um, Billy had come over and was doing PWE. And um, he did a, a training seminar at the school. And he was on me the entire time. He was shouting at me and just having a right go at me. And I remember the entire time, every time I'd get up, he'd shout at me and he'd have a go. And I remember thinking, F you, Billy Gunn, F you, right? Every time I got up, I was like, real, right? And then the thought of like being on a show with him like a couple of years later, I was like, yeah, I'm on the poster with you now, big boy, right? But when we went to dinner, he was talking about how um, how he coaches and like his school and how there's certain people that he needs to basically like molly cuddle and like sort of make them feel sort of like a different approach. He can't shout at them. But then there's those that he knows he can shout at and like get them to go like that's how you motivate them kind of thing. And I realised oh that's what he was doing he was doing it because he wanted he wasn't just having a go that's just how he he coaches and I realized that so I decided to tell him that for nearly a year I told him this like you came and did this and blah 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 and you were on me the entire time I was like and for about a year solid every time I got off that mat I thought if you really got <laughs> and he just laughed he was like that's great that's great and I was like yeah he just laughed I was like honestly for about a year I've just cursed you out every time I've got after right after my I've just been like see me now and now I'm like I'm on the show <laughs> he was like that's great so he was great so it was that weird sort of like full circle of me just being like you really good so like Hey, by the way, I've cussed you out for like a year and a bit. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was great. But like, yeah, being like, not only going to Tel Aviv, being in a place that's just, was just so like different, um, but also like so welcoming and so respectful. And then yeah, being able to sort of be on that show with talent that way as well, because like AEW just really started and we're like properly trying to find their feet. And yeah, it was it was cool. It was, it was cool. And yeah, like yeah, like I would I would I'd go back, you know what I mean? Because they were such a welcoming crowd in place. Um so you had that that feeling like seeing all these people going, Oh my god, I'm in a locker room with them. Did you have that kind of same feeling for Ring of Honor as well when they were doing their, their uh, Honor United tour? It was cool. Like it was it, it, the nice thing about it was there were faces that were familiar in the ROH um locker room. So you had Rampage Brown was on it. And obviously the Haskins were there and I knew them from TNT and stuff. So like having faces that I was like you know I'm I'm okay. Like you know I'm a decent person. Like you're my vouch. You know what I mean? Like you're the people that will be like, she's cool. Don't worry about it. Um, but it was that we were. Yeah, it was. It was. It was cool. Just sort of like the people that I've sat and watched on YouTube and watched on like my fight app and everything like that were in this. And like there was loads of times where like I'd be watching uh, like Peacock World 
like, and then all of a sudden I was booked in that show. It was it was bizarre. I'll be honest. When I got the first message from them saying like, "Can you send me like all your details?" I threw it across the, my phone across the living room, and like just threw it in the couch and was like, "Ah!" <laughs> and I remember both going, "What's wrong?" <laughs> like, and I was like. I think ROH wants to book me. And they were like, what? And I was like, I think ROH is trying to book me. I don't know how this has happened. <laughs> like, um, but like, yeah, it was all, and I remember being, I remember there, so there's like a, it's a funny story. And Casey loves this story, right? She she thinks, it's, she, the amount of time she's like, tell that one. But um, when I was there, so I'd been chatting with them, but I hadn't all been confirmed, but like it was, the Tuesday where it was fully like it's confirmed like you it's you definitely kind of thing we're here's your graphics this is what's going to go out and like when the graphic was going to go out and when the announcement was going to be made um came through on the Tuesday and I was at training that night like I was in jeep I was in the asylum training and there was that weird moment where I was like between friends and we were doing like our roles and I'm going are you okay and I'm going I'm booked for ROH on Sunday, and I'm going, what? And I go, I'm on the ROH show, and they're like, that's great. And I was like, but it's mad. But then there was that moment. So the Sunday before that Tuesday, I was in London, London, and I wrestled Vader Scott, right? We had this great match, and um, I wrestled Vader Scott. And then the Tuesday, booked, confirmed of it, was in the school but in the school I had this sort of idea for something that I wanted to sort of introduce to my repertoire or like how to get into like getting reverse it and things like that and and um I sort of had it in my head I wanted to finalize so I sort of finalized it on that Tuesday night of like this is how I go about doing this and uh, I remember on the show, Speedball, Mike Bailey was booked on the ROH show, so Veda showed up with him, and it was great to see her. I was like, hi, how are you doing? Et cetera. And then after the show had finished, and I was packed up, and we were all sort of, Mike came up to me and went, can I ask you something? And I was like, yeah, like, was, was everything okay? Like, what's up? He was like, see that sit-out thing you did? I went, yeah. And he went, why did you not put in that in your match with Vader? And I was like, I had to go, do, do you want to know the truth? He was like, yeah. I was like, I figured it out on Tuesday. I was like, so I couldn't have put it in the match on Sunday because I'm not a time lord. And he was like, ah, yeah, you should do that more. I was like, thanks. Like, it was like a compliment, but it was that weird sort of moment. I was like, why did you not do that with her? Wait, there was plenty of times you could have done that with her. And I was like, um, that was Sunday. I figured it's on Tuesday. Um, so yeah, but like it was great, and everybody there was really welcoming and really polite, and like, um, yeah, like I would love to do more work with them in the future, and like working with Mandy was great, and yeah, would love, would love, would love to do more work with them in the future. But of course, um, the world went on fire, uh, not long after that. So it kind of put a, a wee bit of a pause on things. Uh, again, master the segue I've got you here. Uh, but the, the one note I've got here is, yeah, you're on the last show before the world ended. Um, was there any tension? Because it was literally the last show, the last show with the crowd in Scotland anyway. Um, was there was there a bit of a, oh, me shaking hands at the show? Was there just, was there any underlying 
like what the, the, the pavilion show yeah were great. um it was it was very different like yeah there was an air of like things we knew things weren't gonna be like this for a while so it was really it was it was enjoyable but there was like an element of sadness to it as well because we knew things were dramatically going to change it wasn't just going to be the way it's been in the past um but yeah like everybody kind of had their own sort of dressing room area but it was it was the closest thing to what could have been normal but still there was anti-back everywhere and like you weren't allowed to hang around in like the, the area like sort of this, the area before you went out like before like your entrance kind of thing um everybody was sort of in their own wee bit um but no like it was a lovely like it was a lovely show and it was it was nice and i think people appreciate the fact that they were getting this one one last hurrah before they knew they weren't going to get it for a while um but yeah because i think like that happened on like the saturday or the sunday and like mon monday lockdown started it was like the last thing that we could do um but yeah it was it was it was great to do it and i was delighted to be asked to be on it and then obviously it was that weird sort of like happy but sad kind of mix of things knowing that okay like this isn't going to happen like less for a while and of course it hasn't um and of course you've been on the icw network on the WWE network now uh, with no crowd um and this is just it, it's it's it seems to be the worst timing because you were just starting to like get a footing in icw and that was going to be where you were going to maybe primarily be because it's up the road uh and then of course the world ended and then you haven't been able to but um what's it been like wrestling in the asylum with no crowd that's the thing like a lot of people have asked sort of like um is it but you say the worst timing where in actual fact i see it as a prime opportunity because let's be honest right now we're in a blip in time we're in a blip in history that when we're all dead and gone um people are still going to talk about this time in history. We're going to talk about the time where the first ever British WWE champion was crowned when there was no crowd. And like that, it's a historic time. But the thing is, we also know that once we do get out the other end of this, there's a new normal going to be there. It's not going to be the same. And it's not going to be like that ever again. We, we just need to get to grips with that. It's not going to be like that ever again. We're all going to be more aware of things and maybe like a, the culture that like Japan has where you wear a mask when you're ill in order to prevent people getting like, hopefully things like that sort of come over and that becomes the new normal. So for me, I see that as a prime opportunity to change things. And... In order to do so, I always had that in my mind. Like the first ever proper debut I had for ICW was the last ICW show that also had a crowd. And weirdly, again, was against Casey. Um, but it's that way where, on that show as well, the women's title was vacated because Evo 
was injured and, and, and couldn't continue as the champion at that time. So there's this big vacant, and that's what it is, it's a big vacant gap that is in the women's division in ICW. And you know what, there might not be a crowd around the ring, but there's a crowd sitting at home. There's a crowd now sitting on their couches. So you need to direct everything to the one giant eyeball that's in the room, which is in that camera lens. It's no longer small eyeballs that are watching you and in a room full of people, they're all just condensed into one giant one now. So for me, this is the start of change and it's, and it's, it's absolutely nothing towards previous performers. Of course it's not. The, the likes of Piper Niven or Viper, how, however you know her, or Kaylee Ray or Carmel Jacobs, or even Casey Owens, who previously held the title, are all respectable and hardworking and have gone to where they are now because they deserve to be there. But the thing is, is I feel that company has left the title vacant when I actually feel like it's not necessary. Like, on Bards, the question I'm going to constantly ask, and I'm going to ask until maybe somebody eventually gives me an answer, but I doubt they ever will. But I kind of know the answer is, why on earth is that women's championship not on the line in that in the cage match? Is it because secretly you know the outcome? Is it because secretly you know that really I'm the inevitable? I'm the person that was overlooked for years because I already had a job. I had a role. But that's not the case anymore. I've went and I've travelled the world and I've grafted to a point where you couldn't deny me anymore. You couldn't overlook me anymore because the rest of the world wasn't. And you'd look like a fool if you did when the person that you need in your promotion is sitting down the road. So for me, this is the prime opportunity, especially now with Bard being broadcast on Peacock, not just on the WWE Network in the UK, on Peacock, which is in 34 million people's houses in America. It's one of the biggest streaming services in America, where, let's be honest, that's kind of the Mac Daddy of professional wrestling is America. Japan is completely revered and it's beloved, and it's, it's it, and it's a place I would wholeheartedly love to go and wrestle and train in because of how respected it is. But if you want to get to, like, superstardom, you either need to be Okada in Japan, and that's tough, or America's really where it goes. So if you're able to make a statement and a ch make a change, why not do it now when it's not just the thousand odd people who surround the ring. It's the millions who are sitting at home and we're what they have to watch. Yeah, I don't think there's anything I can really add or, or, or put to that, because that was just, you've, again, I'm finding with, with yourself, you've you've got, you've, you've made so many steps to grab any puzzle piece to add to your, uh, so you've done, you've done the work experience for for wrestling, you've uh, studied to be a wrestler. You you've taken uh, advices. We said go go abroad, go or Nigel Guinness was like he wanted to to. I was, I was going to say sow your seeds, but 
you know what I mean. Broaden your Broaden horizons. Your horizons. There, we go. there we go. Um, I'm looking for it. That was, that was the one. Um, and you've you've done that. And now that you're getting a chance to actually um, prove yourself in your uh, home, uh, home, home Scotland. Yeah, country. Yeah. Sorry, I'm all flustered because that was so intense. So I'm just like, how do I, how do I recover is, from this? <laughs> it's not just me. There are others who are thinking the same way. Um it's just it will all unfold because we're again we're not just going into what was in the past there is going to be change there's going to be um an order put in place and yeah it's it's going to be interesting and if i have anything to do with it it's going to be unmissable to watch because you're going to want to know what on earth is going to happen next? And that's that's the best. That, that, that's the best thing about wrestling. That's when wrestling's at its best. It's that you just want to know what happens and want more. Uh, right. So we'll, we'll we'll take down the intensity for a minute and ask some of our stupid questions, and then we'll we'll, uh, we'll just to, just to kind of just breathe. Uh, Jason Hyde asked largest animal you could beat in a fight? Uh, a wolf gang. Nice. <laughs> That's a good one. Saying that, I'm just going, oh no. Um, it depends, right? That I think I've seen that question and I actually started thinking about it. Like, it depends on the approach. Are they just attacking me and I'm having to defend myself like that? Or am I getting to, like, prepare? Because if I'm getting to prepare, I'm taking anything down. Like, I'll figure it out. I'm that kind of person that goes, right, what have I got? How can I do this? How can I make this work? I'm that kind of person. So, like, actively, Wolfie has said that, like, if we both got stranded someplace, I'm the one keeping us alive. Like, I'm the one that'll figure out, how do I catch this? How do I get that? Um, but if it's, like, straight up having a fight, I'm not sure. Um... um I'll punch a llama if it comes at me. <laughs> um, I'm not sure. I think I could have a square go with quite a lot of stuff. But if I get a chance to prep. But if it's a straight on attack. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, Jason's yeah, I question didn't necessarily say, what would you, did it say, what would you beat in a fight? Or just what would you fight? And, uh Oh yeah, you could beat. I suppose. Uh, I thought it was yeah, just like. Yeah, I guess is it the gems on the approach? Like, if I'm allowed to prepare for the fight, oh, I'm taking anything down. Like, I'll beat it all. Like, because I'll figure out how to do it. Um, but if it's just a uh, right, I'm coming to get you. You need to defend yourself. Oh, it depends. It, it depends on how cunning they are compared to me. Like, I think I'd have a fair go at most things. I'm right. not going to just roll over. Like that's fair to say that. Like I might end up mauled to death, but the thing's going to cut. I'm going to have like chunks of hair in my hands. Like you're going to think, "Oh, well, she tried. She had a fair go." Um, I've got a feeling that's going to be one of the questions that that later you're just going to be sleeping and just go, "Dog, probably take a dog." <laughs> dog, no. But then again, what kind of dog? Exactly. <laughs> Are we talking a great day? 
that this is one that's just going to keep you up all night. Uh, the other questions I have is, what's your favourite dinosaur? Triceratops. See, that's a popular one. I thought you would have went for Rex. See, Re Rex is, but so for me, it's more like, um, like Land Before Time, and Matilda from Robot Wars was shaped like a Triceratops. So I'd say that I like someone as a bit spiky because I'm also like a mad malehead too. So I like a spike. I like a wee. Th so that makes sense. Yeah, and Trixie, of course, as well in Toy Story. Um, yeah. And the other one we've got is what would win in a fight, two sheep or one cow? Is it a Highland cow? I will leave that up to your own interpretation. If it's a Highland cow, the Highland cow's winning. But... I think a coup. I'll give the coup the, the, the benefit of the time. I think a sheep would, I, I, I'll pick it, like, I, although a cow running is one of the funniest things, it's still pretty scary. If a sheep runs at me, I'm not that scared. And usually it puffs up and goes to sleep. I'm getting into the coup. The coup's getting it. I, I, I mean, I, I always say these are the stupidest questions, but it always seems to be the ones that folk just have to think about the most. Because when you, when you do a wrestling interview, you kind of know what you're going to be asked. And you've done enough interviews now um, that, that you kind of know what's going to be asked. But then I just come around with, oh, we're in a fight. Two sheep or a cow. Um, so, I used to do, so I used to do a podcast for like music festivals and stuff, like back when I was a teenager. And uh, we used to do the same. We would have an ending question. And every month had like the one daft question. And my favourite one that I did, it was a festival called Hinterland, which was around Glasgow. And it was loads of music venues, was... In a fight to the death, who wins? Chuck Norris or John McLean? And like, I had bands fighting, <laughs> like, straight up arguments of like, no, but, and like, my best answer was for a band, the Aberdeen called the Excerpts, and their answer was, how dirty is John McLean's vest? <laughs> because if it's really dirty, he's winning. But if it's new John McLean vest, then nah, Chuck's winning this. And I was like, okay. Like, it was the way they just thought about it. And then we're like, how dirty is John McLean's vest? And I was like, that's that's the kind of answer I want. Like, I'm thinking about this. Uh, but yeah, that was like a question um, we did. But I always remember that one being my favourite of mine. Because like, full grown men having proper arguments going, no, it'd be Chuck. No, John would. Oh, it's like, cool. Uh, I, I'm, I'm going to go with, again, how much preparation. If you get preparation, it's John McLean. Easy. Uh, but but saying, you're saying that, but Texas uh, Ranger, if he had preparation, it could be Chuck. I'm, I'm, I'm too too young to have seen Texas Ranger, so I'm going to... No, I know too, but like watching <laughs> in the past is like... Like, it's more like the idea of, like, dodgeball, of, like, thank you, Chuck Norris. Like, you're like, yeah, okay. And, like, well, a lot of people would argue that, like, Chuck Norris is real and John McLean's fictional. Um, there was loads, the loads, of, but, like, proper, as I'm saying, like, proper arguments start it. And then be like, but, yeah, but what John McLean? Is it, like, first John McLean, second John McLean? What Chuck Norris? And I'd be like, it's just Chuck Norris and John McLean. Um, 
but yeah, that was that was. But that was the thing that ha- it started at like a party. I was at. It was like a daft question somebody asked when they were streaming, like who'd win, and I was like, I'm using that, and then it became a thing, and it was great. Um, that, that's it. That's how I've picked up these questions. Uh, the, it was looking Sharp and Krieger that seemed to argue about the two sheep and one cow. I thought, I'm keeping that one. I will be using it in future episodes. Thank you. Um, right. So I know about, I've kept you for just about two hours. So I'll ask a couple more things. I'll do social medias then. Uh, we can all have a, uh, this is Friday night for anyone who, who's on the Patreon. They'll see it early. Um, they'll know that I'm recording this on Friday. Um, you quite like toys. Uh, sorry, quite like oh god, that came out weird. Um, you quite like uh, like collectibles, toys, things like that. Um, we were t- we were talking about it before we hit record. You say you've got uh, a ridiculous collection. What would be your favourite? Oh Jesus Christ! Um, it depends. Like <laughs> our collections of stuff are ridiculous. Like we have. Our kitchen wall is pretty much but much consumed with pin badges. Um, our living room is pretty much consumed with pop fig- figures. Um, it depends. Like there's like there's like daft ones where I absolutely love my like coming to America and like my trading places, sort of that comedy aspect of like stuff that I love. And obviously there's the massive wrestling collection we have, and like. I love my Rowdy Rowdy Piper. I love my CM Punk one. Um, but I really love, and this man, I've got a really mad soft spot for Kane. And like the Kane Funko Pop is adorable. <laughs> like it's so damn cute. It's like, unex- like it's great. Um, but no, like, but also like I've been lucky enough to do like tours with Undertaker and Mick Foley and. Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart, so I've been able to get all those Funko Pops signed, and like they're on like a special self. Um, like, yeah, so I've got I've got a bunch of stuff that I really set up, but then I've got weird things like I bought a. <laughs> I ended up discussing this well hell a friend of mine who like I bought a, a a nun doll from Nun Valley in Medina off a nun, and it is so creepy. It like has like rolling eyes and everything. It's so creepy that I adore it. Like adore it because of how creepy. And then I got a soft toy Cardinal Copy for Ghost that sits beside it now. So he's got his nun um, with the Cardinal with his sister. Um, I've got loads. I've got absolutely loads of stuff. But things that like either I was as a kid or. Yeah, I've got Hannah's. They all mean like mad. Some like figures, like to other people, are completely worthless, but mean everything to me. Like, I love like when I watch, start watching EC, ECW, like Joey Styles, I just, oh my God, like all this and like realizing like how many pay per views he did by himself. And we found a, a, a Joey Styles figure in Australia. And I was like, I'm buying this. And they were like, it's like, and I was like, this is mine. Um, my, well, okay, I think my favourite wrestling figure I have is a Steve Carino one I've got, and it's the only Steve Carino wrestling figure that has ever been produced because I freaking love Steve Carino. Like, I adore him. I think he was CM Punk before CM Punk was CM Punk. He is, he's just great. 
I love them to bits. And yeah, like, um, Wolfie found a mint condition, like, in its packaging, CM Punk, I would say, Steve Carino figure. And I adore that. That's like my, I think my favourite wrestling figure. But I've got loads, like, I've got like, um, mint condition, like, JLN, like, uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit figures from like the late 80s and 90s. I've got, yeah, like, my collection is a bit, our, our collection's a bit silly, but it's very us. Like, it's incredibly us. Um, but yeah, like, being able to get, like, my age figures, like, that I ha had three here that were in packaging signed, and it's, I've got loads of weird things that I, I love and are very, a lot of the most of our toys, particular our figures, like, are very sentimental. And, like, we buy things that we like. It's not necessarily, like, complete collections, but a lot of it is because we love that film so much, or we love, like, the, the only part that I'm missing is of Randy Watson from Coming to America. And it is genuinely, I would, I've got some pop figures that are stupidly priced now. Like, how much, you've got, and I'd happily hand it over for a Randy Watson. Be like, there you go, give me that. Because it's more to do with the sentimental side of things than just that'll be worth something in the future. Like, no, like, it could become. Like, there's a couple of ones that I've got that I bought for a fiver and now are, have 10 times the value, if not plus more on some of them. But, um, yeah, my... I'm, I'm not going to show you, but, yeah, my, my our, our, our house is a bit silly, but it's exactly what we'd want it to be. I've never been so gutted because I, I kind of had a couple pops and thought, ah, oh, these are just little things. I'm not going to collect them. I'm, I've never been so gutted to not pick up a Roddy Piper when they first came out because finding one now is like gold dust. Gold and dust. if you do find it, it's like a ridiculous price. So I was like, I, I want it. Not that much, but I want it. But um, I made sure for, as soon as uh, Drew was up for pre-order, I was like, nope, that's getting ordered now. I'll have that one, please. That whole, the pretty much, the Edge Pop, the China Pop, and the Drew Pop, and I was like, like, one of the women's I had, like, I, I love China. Like, I've got books and videotapes and all weird stuff. China, love her. Um, but then, like, Drew and Edge, and I was like, they were my Rumble picks! <laughs> like, um, um, but yeah, like somebody who I call a friend and an edge who weirdly will talk to me when I talk to him back. Have you seen that coming? <laughs> uh, I, I have that exact same relationship with Drew, the second one with you and Edge, because I, I somehow he follows me on my personal page on, on Twitter. I have no idea why. Still don't know why. Uh, but I messaged him after he won at WrestleMania and I was just like, thank you and and uh, uh, well done and all that. And he replied back. I'm like, why are you replying? He's so, like, Drew is one of the most hardworking, driven, focused men I've ever met in my life, but is an absolute gem. Like, he deserves everything he's got, everything that he's worked for. Like, I, I, I actually talk about, Drew taught me how to clothesline because he just, he closed, I asked him a question, he then clotheslined me three times and I got it. Like, I was like, okay, okay, yep, I, I get this now. Like, um, I just remember talking, he said something, he just went, okay, bang, get up, bang, get up, bang, get up, you get it now? And I was like, yep, yep, I get it now, okay. Um, but yeah, he's, he completely deserves everything he's got. 
And I love the fact that his wee smirk is on the pop figure. The wee, like, I remember the many times where, like, for some reason, I always remember the square go where, obviously, like, you do, like, the halftime main event kind of thing, and then it's the square goes the second half. And he was the champ at the time. And, like, by, by the end of the show, he still hadn't got out his gear. The whole square go had happened, and he was still talking to folk just in his gear. And I remember he came out to see somebody, and everybody's like, clear, like, there's people sweeping the floor for the point tumblers, and me having to show it, Drew, like, Drew, get clothes on. And he's like, sorry, like, like, he's just one of those guys who's just like, we all love you, and we're all delighted that you've got to wear your. Uh, like, because you're a, you're you're good people. Like that's the basis of it. You've so driven. You're so hardworking. But you're also you've got a vision that you want to bring everybody up with you. It's not just about. He understands. It's not just about you. It's about everybody. And if he can bring a product up or things like, like he carried. Like think of it. He was a champ through all of this pandemic. And he took it in his stride. He didn't moan once. He didn't complain. He just did his job. And he made people actually still, like, it, like the boy's a champ. With a title or not, he's still a champ. Um, and he's our He's Right, so one more, and then we'll do the social media. You recently announced it was you were going to be in a book. Uh, Oh, yeah. Independent Road. Oh, I did my research. Uh, Independent Road by Erin Shafir? Shaf? I don't know. Sorry, Erin. I don't know how to say your surname. Um, but yeah, what was what was that like? Uh, getting to provide some of your uh, st- a story or, or, or a bit of your insight? It was cool. Like, it was, it was, okay, genuinely, at first, I thought it was a wind up. I was like, oh, you want me for your book? Like, I'm going to be honest. When I, I put out the bat signal for the podcast, a lot of genuine podcasts came forward. And I also got a couple of people going, I'm thinking about trialing a podcast. And I was like, no, that's just, you just want me to phone you. Like, that's not happening. Like, no. <laughs> like, like not to be rude, but I was like, no. Like, trialing a podcast is when you date by yourself and you chat about raw. I'm no phoning you. Sorry. Um but I genuinely was about it, and then, like, no, like, he, he sort of showed me stuff that he wanted to write about, and he, we sort of had this conversation through Twitter, and then just had a chat with him, and, no, he was lovely, and he was telling me about the people that he also had on, and he had, like, Effie, and, like, um, Neon Ninja, and, like, um, why has her name escaped me? Um, Lofisto, that was it. I could see it in my head, and I'm going... You know when sometimes you forget how to say mum, even though it's your mum? I had yeah. that kind of moment there. Um, Lofisto was in it, and there was all these great names that I was like, I know them. Like, they're they're, that's, they're good. Um, so, yeah, it, and it was also, like, really cool being, like, the only, like, outside the States person. Like, I was sort of given the, the aspect of somebody who was, I was British, but Scottish, and female. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's been great. It's been doing incredible. And like, so I was releasing Barnes and Noble, which is essentially like 
water stones in America kind of thing. And it's like, it's been at like three and two, like it's been in the actual like top 10 um, for a while and like flagship. There was a point where um, he had great like, honour to like message me and just be like, by the way, uh, the book's actually beating Drew's pre-orders for his book. And I was like, ah. <laughs> um, but no, it's done really well. And it's sort of interesting, like every day sort of getting a new follower and then realising like, oh, you've read the book. And that's how you've sort of come across me. Um, I think now he's going on to write, he's planning on writing a full um, book on just female wrestlers and their journey. Because I think he's un- realises that they can be very different roads and sort very different approaches depending on um, how where you've been trained and because women are treated differently, like and it's something that is changing and it is, but it has been a thing and it, um, obviously like I kept sort of stressing that I think now is a time where although it is viewed very differently, there is a lot more respect and a lot more sort of um Sort of eyes upon the product. Um, like I, I used to talk about how, like, I remember being in a pub once and the women's match came on at WrestleMania and actively seeing so many people just getting up and going to the bathroom, like watching an entire pub just go, right, okay, like, and being like, where are they going? And realizing, oh, it's because of the women's matches on. And like, at the time, didn't really take it in because I wasn't a performer then. But still thinking, like, that's a bit disrespectful. Like, if you're going to watch that, you could like, but now really sort of being like, right, no. And obviously there has been a massive shift on the outlook of female wrestlers. But at the end of the day, although, of course, that's not my viewpoint, I also understand that there's going to be people who hate the fact that I even wrestle because I'm female. And although... It's not the grand scheme now, people. Those people are still going to exist. So for me, I feel like we can't get complacent in what we're doing. We always constantly have to strive to be better, to provide um, a graph twice as hard as any guy can because simply because of what's between our legs, which is, is sad at the end of the, It is sad that that is a thing, but... It, it's what something we need to live with and we need to constantly strive to be better and to constantly to be seen as equal performers for me there's a lot of times where people have asked me and my thoughts of like intergender wrestling and it's something that i would apply to any wrestling where if it makes sense then why can't it be like i'm not going to put like alexa bliss in the ring with braun Strowman because that doesn't make you know what I mean? Like, I'm thinking size-wise, it makes sense. But if you put Seth Rollins in the ring with Charlotte Flair, physically, there's not much difference there. They're both sort of, like, their background, their championships, their reigns, their everything is very kind of similar. There's there's that sort of thing where if it makes a lot of sense. Like, you know, like Raquel Gonzalez probably overshadow a bunch of the guys. And how physical and domination, and it's the same sort of idea like what China was, but now there's more girls coming through like that. Where if it makes sense, I have no issue with it, but I also know there's going to be a lot of people that do. But we need to take it upon ourselves. Although a lot of people say, no, you don't, but we do have to take it upon ourselves to make sure that 
the opinion of female wrestling only gets better. And there's going to be people that constantly try and tear us down and constantly try and um, disagree the fact that we're even crossing between the ropes. But we need to be the ones that go, you're wrong and this is why. And just show them in the ring, this is why you're wrong. Because see all those people? They're watching us because we put on good performances. It's got nothing to do with our gender. You've got the problem. You need to get over it. I think that's the, the perfect uh, way to, to finish up then. A nice uh, inspiration for anyone who's listening, male or female, uh, pretty much. If, if you want to change the opinion, you got to work. And that's just how it's going to be. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, where can people find you on social media? I'm, I'm quite lucky in the fact that Molly Spartan is quite easy to find. If you Google Molly Spartan, everything pretty much comes up. So I'm Molly Spartan on Twitter. I'm Molly Spartan on Instagram. I'm Molly Spartan on TikTok. I think I'm Real Molly Spartan on Facebook because there's also a roller derby player in America who took Molly Spartan. And then when she discovered that I existed, messaged me going... I keep getting really strange questions about wrestling and it now makes sense. And I go, yeah, okay, sorry. Um, but yeah, if you end up putting in, you'll find pretty much everything. Um, but yeah, that's where you can find me. And obviously there is my other tag partner, Casey Owens as well, uh, with the She-Wolves, so you can find her. Um, and obviously we've got like our big cartel pages and stuff like that. So any support is welcomed, um, especially in the current climate. Uh, but if you can watch ICW Fight Club on the WWE Network, which I'm guessing a lot of people who are listening to this already have, um, each week, you're probably going to see me being a horrid human being, but I'm doing it for the best intentions. Perfect. Well, thank you very much. <laughs>